that beat crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, where, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Movement, Simple Contacts, and eHarmony. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard, especially this week. I am your host, Jeff Canada, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, Slash nemesis, the guy who joined me at the March for Our Lives this weekend, Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, listeners. Happy to be here. It's not a parting gift because I've already said it, but people, watch Atlanta. Watch Atlanta. It's so good. It's so very good. All right. Okay. You got to do that right at the top of the show, huh? Is that what you just came off doing? I can't save it for a parting gift because I've already mentioned it as a parting gift and I might have recently watched Atlanta, the third episode of Atlanta. All right. Blows me away every single time. It is so good. Well, I'm, I'm excited to say because what I just got done doing is spending a whole day playing board games and we haven't talked about board games uh, very recently on the show. It's been a few episodes since we had a tabletop time segment. So I wanted to rectify that in a big way this week and I'm so excited. Because we have a great guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm thrilled because DLC stands for Driving and Loving Cardboard. Because from DriveThroughVideos.com and DriveThroughReviews, one of my favorite voices in board games online, Mr. Joel Eddy is with us. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Christian. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate that. Um you know, I just uh, listened to you guys, your, you, Jeff, on uh, the Lunology podcast. It was a great episode. They always do a great episode. And then, uh, you know, checked out your latest uh, DLC from last week. Uh, you know, I'm not a big consumer of video game media, but, uh, man, I really like your show. And uh, I'm super happy to be here, for right, sure. Right on. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the things and uh, start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by uh, go, going to our subreddit. That's over at 5x5dlc.reddit.com where cool folks hang out, talk about the show, talk about stuff they'd like to hear us talk about, and more. Cool community over there, so I encourage you to give it a shot. But Joel, you are our guest this week, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, you know, I watched this video that was put out by Epic, I think, at the Game Developer Conference Mm -hmm. uh, using their Unreal 4 engine, Unreal Engine number 4. And it was uh, a huge moment of this thing called Uncanny Valley for me. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. So I, I always hear people throw that term around. And I've never really had that feeling. I'm like, yeah, you know, it doesn't really affect me any weird way when I see really sort of almost realistic CGI. But man, I was feeling it hard on this one. <laughs> it was just, it was very disturbing, but it was very cool as well. 
Yeah, we had, you know, they had the Game Developers Conference, as you mentioned this week. It was the uh, first time in many years I have not gone, so I felt very bad. But some cool stuff. I mean, Epic showed their State of Unreal presentation where they were kind of showing us what's around the corner next for video game graphics. And among other things, including real-time ray tracing, which is pretty amazing, and some very, very impressive real-time uh, 3D graphics, they did show this new version of what a virtual actor might be, what a new uh, virtual character in video games and probably across all media, uh, but done in real time. You know, if, if you go to a, a movie and you see everything from Jar Jar Binks up through Gollum and beyond, uh, of course, those are digital characters, but they have been pre-rendered. They have been, the, their performance has been captured in the computer, and then a bunch of big computers took time to render each uh, frame of that performance uh, ahead of time, and it's compiled and put onto into the movie. What Epic was showing is a level of visual fidelity done in real time, so it can be you can walk around it, you can put it in video games, you can interact with it in real time. And yeah, it's pretty hard in the uncanny valley. Uh, it was, uh, there's this Chinese actress uh, whose name I am definitely not going to pronounce correctly. It's uh, Bing Zhang, I believe. Um, she was the model that, that well, they were trying to get close to, but the actress playing her was named Alexa Lee. And this character introduces herself as a virtual creation uh, made in partnership with a whole bunch of very high profile studios and, and um, using a lot of uh, time and care, but it was all rendered in real time. And yeah, Joel, you, you looked at that and you went, uh, cause I think this Epic presented it as like, we are getting to the point where the uncanny Valley isn't going to be a thing anymore. Cause it's so close to human, but you got the heebie jeebies from it, huh? Oh yeah, man. It was just, <laughs> you know, I think part of it is I saw this video like a week or two ago where they would superimpose uh, actors' faces onto like real people, like very famous people or politicians, mm-hmm. and get them to say what they wanted. And I was like, "Oh no, this is this is there's no good can come of this." Yeah, yeah. So that's the future we're headed toward, man. That is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a little scary where truth and and fiction are gonna not be, in, you know, they're not gonna be able to be distinguished between. You know, it's gonna be tough. I'm not ready for that at all. Not not on the slightest. <laughs> uh, Christian, what did you think of this? You got a chance to see uh, this video as well. Do you think we're getting to that place where um, digital characters can cannot elicit that kind of reaction? Or are we still a ways off on that? Uh, I think we are close, um, especially the way technology is progressing, where I can play a fully featured version of Fortnite on my iPhone SE, which is already like what a two or three year old technology phone, um, seeing it run on an iPhone 10, we're, we're getting close. And I think what's really impressive about, uh, the unreal demo is that it was real time. And so imagine if that's your starting point for animation right now, where you have someone actually talking and that's your motion capture, like that's your starting point. And then from there you can give it to talented animators and they can get the mouth just right or bring things in or change things a little bit. I mean, the fact that right now they're doing that in real time and it looked, yeah, it didn't look exactly human or lifelike yet, but it's pretty incredible. And so what, five years, 10 years, 15 years, let's say 15 years, Wind Waker, I think turned 15 years, uh, turns 15 years old this year. Like, it, that's a blink, right? Like, a, like, I think you mean it's a link. 
It's a link. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Um, so yeah, it's, we're, we're close and it's both wonderful and terrifying <laughs> all at the same time. And I would like to say I'm actually not here. Um, this is actually a mocap of me if you're watching. Uh, <laughs> oh, that explains the giant pause you took earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm actually in China. So yeah, it was, it's a little bit of a delay. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I think it's going to be much bigger than just video games. It's it really feels like it's going to change all of uh, culture when digital humans and real humans are indistinguishable, and uh, you don't know what's real and what's not. And you can have a virtual, uh, you know, president of the United States saying anything or anybody. You know, you you can have anybody saying anything, and you can't tell that it's not really them saying it. That uh, that will be a paradigm shift that our entire world will have to go through <laughs> to where, you know, it's we don't know what's real anymore. I don't know exactly how we're going to go through that. But in the meantime, I guess we can get excited <laughs> about the video games that we'll get to play because they showed Star Wars and they showed an amazing. I mean, I think even more impressive than um, the uh, the Chinese actress was um, they showed. um Oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, Gollum himself. Uh, why is his Andy Circus. Andy Circus. They showed a digital Andy Circus doing a monologue from Macbeth, and uh, and then like super, you know, starting with digital Andy Circus, and then putting it onto like an alien head. And I mean, the quality of expressiveness and emotiveness inside digital acting, I think, is going to improve in the short term, and I think that'll be fun to see in video games, but. But yeah, it's hard not to think that right around the corner, we're going to get to this weird place where you won't know what is real anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, I remember, <laughs> I remember there was like a picture uh, I saw when I was in middle school and it was like the article then was like, you can't believe your eyes anymore. Now it's about photography and what early Photoshop, you know, or whatever was doing. Yeah. And the fact that in such a short amount of time we've gone through from realistic photoshops to realistic, you know, here's President Trump riding on a shark and it like looks real and you're like, dang, he's really riding that shark. Yeah. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, on that note, I guess, um, uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Trump riding the shark. I got to send you guys this video. <laughs> I think he, he jumped, jumped the, the shark. Yeah. <laughs> no, he landed on it and wrote it. And it was one of the most incredible and beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, I like the story about the Fair Play Alliance being formed. It is over 30 game developers, um, high-profile companies like Epic, we just talked about, Twitch, Xbox, Blizzard, and what they want to do is encourage fair play and healthy communities in online gaming, something, Jeff, that you and I speak to or try to encourage on, on this show and our community, I think, is is a, is a wonderful and fantastic community, but we are all aware, certainly, of the toxicity in, in gaming that is rampant at times uh, of playing spoiler to later sea of thieves with my daughters i had to make sure to turn off proximity chat because i didn't know <laughs> you don't know what you're going to walk into when you walk onto somebody's boat right yeah um and what this alliance is trying to do is that the quote is we envision a world where games are free of harassment discrimination and abuse and where players can express themselves through play and they want to raise awareness of player behavior related issues and share research and best practices that drive lasting change i don't know what we'll see from this in terms of reality but i loudly applaud the initiative and the stance that they're taking. And it's nice to see big companies like Blizzard and Epic behind it as well. Yeah. I mean, it's the heavy hitters. It's uh Blizzard, Epic, Twitch, Riot, Xbox. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, it, it is, I think, 
great when individual companies take a stand and say they want to ensure a positive experience and cut down on toxicity and games and, you know, use bans and use punitive measures in their games to try to ensure that happens. I think that's all good, but the ability of these, these companies to band together and form an alliance that maybe we'll see some practices shared across uh, all these big companies and across all these big games that actually feels like it could, could move the needle a little bit on this. Because if you think, for example, that if you have even just a series of standards that are adopted by every major developer so that everybody knows what's acceptable and what's not just in video games, not in this video game or that video game, but because everybody agreed on it, this is just how things work. Maybe that's the kind of thing that becomes the norm and becomes just accepted by everybody. And if you take it to the next step, which is, hey, were you a jerk in PUBG? Well, then you got banned in Overwatch and you got banned on Mm -hmm. Fortnite and you got banned on Twitch. Like, you were a jerk in one place. We all agree that there's some punitive measure to you. Maybe that will actually be impactful and will, and, and will, you know, make bands be really important because all these companies said, no, Hey, you've got this reputation over here. We don't want you in our game either. Um, I don't, I mean, they haven't announced anything like that, but that's the kind of measure that I could see an alliance like this resulting in. And I think could be a really um, powerful tool for these companies to use. Joel, do you have any, uh, experience with uh, any kind of toxicity online and and is there oh. I mean you do a YouTube yeah. channel what am I saying <laughs> <laughs> Yeah um well the nice thing about YouTube and my own channels I can just delete and ban you know immediately upon right. any kind of you know nastiness um this does kind of remind me of uh, I was listening to a podcast a long time ago with uh, Chris Cantrell from Riot Games and he's responsible for the Mechs versus Minions board game and he was talking quite a bit about that uh, and how Riot handles it with uh, League of Legends. And it was very interesting because, you know, he talked about the kind of negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. where they really struggled with, uh, at the beginning, trying to find out the right balance to uh, maintain, uh, you know, a pleasurable environment for everybody. And uh, I thought it was very interesting because they seemed to sort of uh, favor, if I remember correctly, uh, a positive kind of reinforcement. So, if you got sort of voted for, um, I don't remember what they called it, but in tabletop or miniature gaming, they have like a best sportsmanship in tournaments and you can actually get a prize and it'll affect your overall score. Hmm. So everybody's going out of their way from, you know, step one to try to be pleasant and, you know, have a good environment with your opponents. So I think that will be interesting to see how these kind of brain trust of all these video game companies come together and try to, you know, figure out the right solution to that. And I think that's an excellent point. And I leapt right to the punitive side, but I think you're right. I think, <laughs> I think carrots on sticks is, is even more effective than sticks. <laughs> and yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, and I would hope that there's enough um, willpower. Maybe they can make those kinds of things beneficial across the board too. Maybe there's some sort of shared reputation that we can all uh, take part in as gamers that are, that's pan video game. And, and that becomes, I mean, I don't want to get to the like Black Mirror episode where we're all worried about our rep, you know, we need a, you know, we're all Uber drivers in our own lives. But, um, but you know, I think there's some medium there that we can reach where it really does behoove everybody to just be decent 
people to one another. And, and I don't think, you know, I've said this before too. I, I don't think that means we all have to not be competitive or not be passionate or not be, um, you know, invested in games. You don't have to be Mr. Rogers or Bob Ross every, every game, although that's lovely too. You can still be hyped up and passionate and, and, you know, get into things and, you know, talk to, talk to people sharply or whatever. It's just when it gets to the point of making it a, a really toxic environment that something needs to happen. And it is a bigger problem than any one company seems to be able to tackle. So hopefully shared resources, at least shared uh, ideals, uh, maybe will be the thing that, that actually moves the needle. Yeah, I hope shared resources helps this and doesn't create the situation where, well, we'll, we'll let them handle it, right? And I, I think it's interesting to see how some of these communities act uh, or some of these companies act because some of them haven't had the best reputation in terms of maybe acting as quickly or as strongly as others or the larger community would have liked them to. I know Blizzard's been having a hard time with um, – even the Overwatch League stuff and some of the signs people are bringing into the arena and the way some of the players themselves are acting when they're streaming, you know, their own personal streams and not on stage. And it's kind of this player conduct and, you know, what kind of penalties do players face for, for acting not kind uh, in other venues. And then Microsoft as well. I heard more stories back in the X360 X days, but how they were handling you know, abusive players and, and this, that, and the other. So hopefully this is a step in the right direction and not more just kind of um, talking, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, this is another thing that was presented at GDC, and I think hopefully we'll hear lots more about this going forward. Um, I'd love to know what best practices they come up with and, and what concrete ideas come out of this. And I hope it's not just lip service, as you said. I really hope it's um, something that results in some some real interesting strategic ideas to deal with this kind of thing. Cause it benefits yeah. everybody, you know, um, I'm going to use my story of the week to talk some board games right away. Cause Jules here, um, he actually clued me in on some stuff that's going on with Asmo day. Um, who is, has over the last several months been buying up a lot of, uh, other board gaming publishers and is just becoming this, this, uh, monster in the space and has been for a while. Uh, they're now launching Asmodee Entertainment and with the goal of bringing uh, board gaming IP to feature films, TV series, comics, and graphic novels, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, Joel, you are somebody that plays everything, uh, knows board gaming inside and out. Do you think the properties <laughs> in the video game world, I mean, we're not going to see... Uh, uh, trading in the Mediterranean, the TV series, or maybe we will. I don't know. Uh, do you think the IP is is going to be able to support these kind of pan media properties? I'm not sure. Actually, there is a Settlers of Catan movie that is in the work somehow. Somebody has the rights to that. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what you how you get any kind of movie or TV out of that. Though there's not like a single character that you can you know latch onto. Everybody's pretty kind of abstract. Almost godlike, you know, above the uh, the board kind I got of thing. A, I got a um, chance to read the treatment of that, and I'm not. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it publicly, but offline I can tell you about it. It's a pretty interesting idea what oh, they're going oh, with. I definitely want to hear about. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, I think this kind of dovetails off of uh, you know, the Ludology episode you were on and even your last episode here. I think it was the Monopoly guy was the one sort of character, the you know, with the the top hat. Yeah. And I can't remember. There was there's like one other like Clue, character. right? Clue has the yeah, characters. Clue. Yeah. Clue's a great movie though. I mean, it is. It's a great movie. Yeah. Anybody that points to me and says board gaming movies are a dumb idea, I'm like, hello, Clue is one of my favorite movies of all time. So Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. And you know they're remaking that too. I know, which is I think which, is a terrible idea, but yeah. 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 I do think that um there is a handful of characters in some games, and specifically though, I would say like the Warhammer world has a lot of uh, richness to it. Sure. Uh, I could see them making a 40k movie or something uh, like that. But as far as Asthma Day goes, gosh, I don't know. I could see maybe a Twilight Imperium kind of movie, uh, you know, with the giant uh, lion people and yeah. turtle people and stuff like that. That might be kind of fun. But that would be rad. Hard to say. Uh, what what's do you that, think? Of- what's that board game, Jeff? Sorry, where it's like um, it's like spaceships and you kind of create the board as you go, and like one has wings like an X. Um, those could be good movies. You're talking about what Star Wars? Yeah, <laughs> Star Wars. That's it. Yeah, yeah those, those might work. Uh, although I think it's the other direction. Um, what do you think, Joel, since I have you here, about Asthma Day, you know, uh, getting uh, Lookout Games and Mayfair and all the big moves mm-hmm. they've been doing lately? Yeah, I don't know. I kind of – I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, some good has come out of it, and I think it's taken a year or so to get to the point where we kind of – get the goodness out of it where they bought uh, Z-Man mm-hmm. and Plat Hat Games and them. And Z-Man and historically has been sort of bad at keeping their games sort of published and in print. Uh, I can think of Palaces of Carrara and Arboretum as a couple of maybe lesser known games because they haven't really kept them in print that well beyond the first run and sort of having the giant of Asmodee behind them you've started to see a lot of those games stay in print, stay in front of people. Uh, so that's good. Uh, but you have this weird dichotomy in the board game world. We have like the giant Asmo day and game workshop and uh, wizards of the coast, which is basically Hasbro. Mm-hmm. So you have those three giants and then uh, thousands of other tiny publishers that are, you know, printing just a few thousand games or a few thousand copies of a single game a year versus like pandemic, which sells hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. Um, so it's a real weird dichotomy. Yeah. Um, do you think the future is, I mean, there are a lot of real mom and pop board game publishers, you know, and, it's, oh, and yeah. I think there's a, that's kind of one of the beauties of the industry for me is that, you know, sometimes you'll, you know, you'll reach out to a publisher and be like, yeah, I'd love to talk to your PR person. It's like, well, it's me and my brother and we're, we're the people that <laughs> run the company. So which one of us do you want to talk to? Uh, and then you have these, like you said, these bigger, bigger companies. And I think Kickstarter started as a way for smaller publishers to kind of figure out ways to, to front end their, their cost to publish games. But now the bigger publishers even use Kickstarter. So that sort of hasn't right. really even been a differentiator anymore. Do you think the future is these bigger conglomerate board game publishers? And, if so, is that maybe a better thing for consumers? Well, I think yes and no. I think I think the big publishers are good because you're starting to see games now, uh, good games in Target and Walmart and all those kinds of places where people that everyday people that really don't know what's going on with board games can just walk in and say, oh, this looks cool. I'll get this for Christmas or whatever. Like you can get Pandemic or 
uh, fog of love or anything like that. Yeah. So that's good. Cause that will spread the hobby, you know, with a wider net and that's great. Um, but I think it's not going to force the little guys out of the way because like you said, Kickstarters, it's basically perfect for board games because you can get your money up front. There's not a lot of sort of production costs really compared to like video games or TV or movie. Uh, you just need you know, a good design. You need a competent artist with some graphic design expertise and you know, there's enough sort of uh, board game manufacturers that are really in tune with that sort of Kickstarter crowd. Uh, Panda uh, Games, that's uh, based all over the world, but a lot in China. Uh, I've talked to them directly, and they work really closely with a lot of these mom-and-pop publishers to hold their hand a little bit, get them going if they're inexperienced. And so it's very easy comparatively to a lot of other industries to go from an idea to a finished product. Uh, so I think Kickstarter is going to be around for a while. And I think that kind of avenue is much more risk, uh, risk free than, you know, let's say, oh, I'm going to publish 2000 copies of a game and put them in my garage and right. hope I sell them. Yeah. Because that used to be the way to do it. And people would lose their shorts over that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and one out of every hundred would have a success and then be able to continue. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. And now you're seeing games. Uh, like Seventh Continent and others, where it's like, oh, we're mm-hmm. only going to be a Kickstarter. There's no, we have no ambition to even make this game any other way than periodic Kickstarter campaigns. Uh, right, and that the industry sort of frowns on that because the middleman is taken out. The distributor and the local game store doesn't like that. Right, um, but I think there's enough to go around. You know, Asmodee and all those folks will keep going into the stores. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, a couple of those news stories I wanted to hit on. Um, we've talked at length, mostly at the end of last year, uh, about Star Wars Battlefront 2 and its uh, turbulent ride of uh, loot boxes and monetization and all of the controversy that that stirred up, even to the point of legislation that was introduced, basically all because Star Wars Battlefront 2 uh, made headlines about this. Well, the latest headline is that Star Wars Battlefront 2 just came out with its big 2.0 update. And surprising everybody, they didn't mention this beforehand in the update patch. They unlocked every single character and vehicle in the game and just gave them to every player. And they had compensation for players that may have already purchased some of those characters, gave them credits uh, instead of you know just having the characters. They already had the character. Um, Christian, do you think this is potentially a a fresh start for battlefront two or is it too little too late unfortunately i think it's too little too late uh they changed the progression system as well but i feel like this game has fallen off so many people's radars i think if you have the game it is still beautiful uh the graphics in it are stunning and it it does all the star warsiness well but there are so many better multiplayer games that have come out and gained popularity since like i don't think this is pulling anyone away from fortnite or PUBG or Overwatch, whose new character just came off the test server, I guess, last week. Um, I think people might put it in and be like, oh, now I can play as Darth, and be like, oh, the game's still essentially the same? Now, where was I in Fortnite? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to do much. What about I you? Know. I do There's a possibility that this could spark some more interest in the game, especially among people that may have already purchased it and just are hanging on to it and wanted to love it, right? And And you never underestimate the power of Star Wars. And like you said, it's a beautiful game full of tons of content. And if now all that content mm. is playable, people can play it. You know, you want to play Darth Vader, you can play play Luke Skywalker, you can play him. You play Han Solo, it's all there, you know? 
Maybe um, tons of content compared to what we're going to talk about later, but the game does not have a lot of con. It's not, there's not a lot. There's a mediocre single player campaign. Then there's versus online deathmatch and like the 40 up free 40. The, I don't know if you've played with any of the hero characters. Most of them don't control well. Hmm. Uh, they don't bring a lot to the table in terms of like strategy or how it's different. It, uh, the game is still deeply flawed in terms of a actual competitive um, gameplay experience, Starfighter Assault or whatever it's called is beautiful and stunning. But I would, whatever, I think you still owe me a dollar from an old bet uh, earlier this year. I will rebet you that dollar, good sir, that this does not create a substantial uptick for this game. Well, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't have a strong conviction that it will. I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm hoping that these kinds of things actually encourage publishers to do this kind of thing in the future. And on, on, in that case, I'm hoping that it results in some positive uptick, but I'm not, super confident that it will i'm not shiny crispy u.s dollar comfort confident um, <laughs> okay 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 well then i think we're on the same page <laughs> uh joel do you have any experience with this game or how do you feel about loot boxes in general yeah no i don't have it i haven't played it and i just remembered hearing about the kerfuffle and all that stuff i i don't really have any good opinion on it uh, i i think this maybe would entice me to dabble in it, but I, I'm kind of a video game dabbler anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, if it comes on sale one day, I might pick it up for fun. But yeah. I would probably play this more for the single player. If I'm going to do multiplayer, I'll play something else for sure. Well, I got bad news for you. The single player is not great. Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a shame. Um Interesting. We talked a lot about sort of the economics of the board gaming universe. It's interesting. Some stats came out at the Game Developers Conference about the state of Steam. In fact, uh, Steam Spy gave a big presentation at GDC, breaking down some really interesting statistics about 2017, uh, which they termed Steam's best year yet in terms of revenue. Uh, which was estimated to have hit 4.3 billion with a B. Uh, but interestingly, half of that number, half of that 4.3 billion can be attributed to just 100 titles. And that is out of over 21,000 titles that were made available in 2017. So it was more games released in the year than any previous year by far of, of Steam's life. And yet still 50% of the revenue can be attributed to just the tiniest fraction of those games, a hundred of them. And uh, most of that is PUBG. Uh, and then second place is Counter-Strike Global Offensive, which is pulling in $120 million in revenue. PUBG, of course, $600 million in revenue, which is jaw-dropping. Uh, and then after that, GTA V with $83 million. So... PUBG, I guess you could say, came out in 2017, but uh, those other games have been out a long, long time and are still raking in the lion's share of profits. Uh, According to the study, uh, a game needs to have sold $22 million worth in order to hit the top 20 on Steam. And uh, of the current top 20, only seven were released before, or seven of them, seven of the 20 were released before 2017, uh, including Witcher 3, Dark Souls 3, and Rainbow Six Siege. So of the top 20 games on Steam, seven of them didn't even come out that year, which is pretty crazy. Um, They said there are 291 million Steam accounts and 63 million were created 
just in 2017, but they attribute that to cyber cafes in China where PUBG is a huge hit. So uh, it's pretty crazy. We also heard that uh, a lot of the games that come out don't make anything. They make barely, uh, barely minimum wage. Uh, in February, around 850 games launched on Steam, which is about 40 games every day. That is insane. About 82% of those didn't even make minimum wage, meaning that uh, they would not support a single person based on the revenue that they brought in on American minimum wage. Crazy. So um, what do you make of all this, Joel? Do you, you, you want to parse any of this for us? Uh, wow. Um, it's The numbers for PUBG are outrageous. I, can, I mean, it was popular, but... I'm just blown away by that much. Uh, I mean, th- that game has been in development for a few years, has it not? Yeah, it, it was in uh, yeah. it was in early access for for quite an extended period of time. Uh, but during that period, it made crazy amounts of money too. Um, I mean, this is, it really does feel like it's the haves and the have-nots, right? It's a it is a yeah. boom in terms of total money, but it is a very very small percentage of the total games being released. So it's like uh, you hit the lottery or you barely get above the poverty level. You know, it's pretty, pretty wild, uh, wild west out there. Yeah. I'd be curious at the numbers, um, especially for Counter-Strike Go, uh, if how much of that is, you know, the game versus all of that, uh, the rifles and the decorations. Cause uh, I've got a 17 year old son and he doesn't, he's not really into Counter-Strike, but uh, a lot of his friends are. And man, they, from what my son tells me, they spend quite a bit of money on those guns and yeah. skins and everything. So I wonder how much of that is actually skins and all that. Oh, I'm sure it's huge. Uh, yeah. Based on all of the gambling that goes on, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's insane. Uh, Christian, you have a, you have a take on all this crazy data? Well, I think there's, there's two sides to it and why, it, you know, people are going to keep chasing after it. One, I think people making games is art and it's a passion and people want to pursue that art and bless them for that. That's awesome. I love, all of the fun, incredible indie games that come out and are able to potentially reach a mass audience via Steam or something like that. But the vast majority of them won't, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's the realities of opening up the playing field for everybody where anybody can get a game on the Apple App Store too and no one will get noticed, right? Then there's always the exceptions and PUBG was made by a small team coming seemingly out of nowhere and it's the number one seller. So I think you'll have things like that that you can point to. And those exist in any industry where it's, you know, this person was walking their dog and now they're starring in Indiana Jones or whatever it is, right? Um, I think Harrison Ford, he was a roofer, was his, he was like Carpenter, a 40 year old yeah. roofer who had given up and then struck big on Star Wars or whatever his story is. So there's always those things, Rodney Dangerfield and stand up. Uh, and so PUBG, I think you could look to that and think if I could come up with the thing or inside limbo, some of these games from small teams that took off and became huge hits. Um, but the writing is on the wall for most of them that, you know, don't, don't sell your house and, and bet big. Um, cause chances are statistically it's, it's not going to pan out, which is a sobering reality. And it doesn't mean don't chase your dreams, but it means have a backup plan uh, for when they, they don't work out. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's crazy. I just don't understand the business plan of any video game developer at this point. And I think most of the people in there are doing it for, for the love. And that's, that's great, but it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard out there for a game developer. Yeah. Um, but for some people, 
the future is bright. And so bright, they have to wear shades. Which brings us to our first sponsor, ladies and gentlemen, Movement. You've heard me talk about Movement in regards to watches, because Movement kind of made made their name with really great, high-performance, great-looking, wonderful-feeling quality watches for not an insane price. But they also have sunglasses. And since spring is right around the corner, the sun's coming out, daylight savings time's here, we've got longer, brighter days, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about sunglasses from Movement. And if you're like me, uh, I don't like, you know... Most of the time, if I get sunglasses, I buy cheapo, crapo sunglasses because I'm not going to go to the mall and spend 200 bucks on sunglasses and then feel freaked out that every time I'm going to leave them somewhere or whatever. I just can't spend that kind of money on sunglasses because they're just too fragile. They're too easy to lose. But I end up spending, you know, buying these crapo ones for 10 bucks that feel like junk. They really are junk. They look crappy. The great thing is that movement has sunglasses that are in the sweet spot. They are, they start at just 70 bucks and they're really nice. They're high quality. You can get them polarized. They aren't plastic. They, they feel good. They're like your go-to day-to-day shades. And I, I just uh, picked out some shades on movement. I got the outlaw, the outlaw. Which ones did you get Christian? The outsider, which is like, you know, I'm not cool enough to be an outlaw. I'm like outside, a little, little sketchy, and then you're just like, you're, you're just out there, you know, tearing it up. Yeah, <laughs> breaking the law. Um, these are really high quality, really nice. They have tons of styles and cool uh, designs. They come in high quality premium acetate frames, no cheap plastic. You got to see these. They, they're, they're really, really nice. They have lots of styles, classic, trendy, round, aviator, mirrored, polarized. They got guys and girls. Check out movement and find out if, if these shades are right for you. I, they're, they're the kind, they're right for me because they're right in the sweet spot of what I need. High quality, nice, look good, but they don't cost an arm and a leg. Plus, if you use our our promo code, you'll get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns. That's the key because, uh, you know, if you make the wrong choice, you want to try out a couple of different styles, you got to get those free returns just in case, you know, your your face isn't what you thought it was going to be with those, uh, those shades on them. But I bet you're going to find a great style that you're going to love. Go to movement.com slash DLT, DLC, DLC is the name of my show. I know what I'm saying. Uh, movement is spelled M-V-M-T dot com. M-V-M-T dot com slash D-L-C. You know, Movement for watches. Now it's time to check out their sunglasses. Go to movement.com slash D-L-C and save yourself 15% off on some shades. Ooh, Time to talk about what we have been playing, and I want to start things off with a game all three of us have been playing, which is Sea of Thieves, uh, Microsoft and Rare's new exclusive Xbox One say, title. Say, say Rare like you mean it. Come on. Let me, let me hear Sea of Thieves Rare. See if, why, why do I have to say it like I mean it? I just, I'd picture something like, you know, Microsoft and Rar's new pirate game. I, I mean, I Oh, I get never it. See you to leave a pun on the table, Rar. Yeah. I, yeah, okay. It's a little of a stretch even for me, but I appreciate that you went there. Um, <laughs> I went there. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Uh, Joel, uh, what do you what do you think of this of the Sea of Thieves? Uh, have you have what has your experience been? Have you played it solo or with friends? What have you been doing with it? Yeah, a little bit of both. Unfortunately, mostly solo. Um, most of my video game buddies live back east. I'm out here on the west side, west coast, and uh, so our hours don't line up. But the time that I've played it has been, oh, gosh, it's really hard to sort of describe because. I kind of just like going in there and like just doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, you can, I like just sailing around like this. Oh, there's a storm. Let's sail into that and see how that works out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, I'm saying kind of the back of the box. It's just a cool sandbox. Uh, you just kind of run around and try to avoid people. And uh, just these weird things happen that you don't really expect. Um, you know, it's just, it, I don't know. It's just so different. Have you had any of, cool, of uh, cool, weird things that have that have happened to you? Have been fallen off a boat, or you know, eaten by a shark, or anything that you you thought was, man, this is this is what I signed up for. Uh, yeah, well, a couple of things. One thing that just happened to me the other day, I was actually playing solo, but I went to this island and killed uh, like the skeleton captain or something. And then as I was sailing away, I guess the island people were really ticked with me, and randomly there was like a cannon battery that appeared in the island and started shooting at me and i was like how did these skeletons get this giant cannon i don't even know if it was skeletons or what uh but they might they were really dinging my ship up pretty good and it was just like i don't know where where did that come from uh, <laughs> the other thing was uh this actually didn't happen to me but it was my friend and i'll, I'll share it with you uh he was on a boat with some of my other friends and they just uh they were just sailing along and a kraken actually attacked their boat and I didn't even know that you could have a Kraken in the game. I had no clue. Right. And it, it would like suck them off the boat and then throw them. And uh, it was really just wreaking havoc with their boat. You know, they, they spent the whole time uh, trying to repair it and everything like that. Uh, so just, just like a really cool sense of discovery and everything in that game. And the water looks just amazing. <laughs> I definitely agree with that, especially if you're playing in HDR on uh, Xbox One X. Oh my goodness, does the water look, it's like the best looking water, best looking water. And that's a, uh, that's high water mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> there it is. There. <laughs> Good water. Uh, I was very, very, very excited for this game leading up to it. I, I was all, all revved up. I told all my friends, I was like, oh man, let's all get on Xbox Game Pass. You guys, you don't even have to pay anything. You get 14 day free trial. You can download it immediately. Just try it. Just let's all get on. Let's all play. We got to do this. Day one. Told all my buddies. Um, and we did it. And I have to admit, I, I was pretty let down by this one. Um, it, I just don't think I agree with you that there's these fun emergent moments, but there's there's just not enough stuff in the world to keep me going. There's not enough things to do, different kinds of things to do. The world feels really empty to me. You get to an island and it's fun to shoot up some skeletons and grab their skulls and bring it back, but that's kind of it. You know, if there was more stuff to find on an island, sometimes you'll find this cool cave and you'll go in the cave. And there's no reason to go in there. there. There is a kind of game design where your curiosity is constantly rewarded. And mm-hmm. studios like Bethesda are so smart about that, where if there is a, a nook or a cranny or some kind of off side room or something in Fallout or Skyrim, nine times out of 10, I would even venture to say 10 times out of 10, 
there's something there. There's some reward for your curiosity, for following that trail into a side area. And even if it's just a chest with some silly loot that you might not even need, but some thing that says, hey, we knew that you thought it was a good idea to come in here and we're going to acknowledge that with some reason, some destination that gives you something, even if it's just a, even if it's not really impactful to the game, it it's just an acknowledgement that you weren't wrong to come here. And I don't think that Sea of Thieves was built with that design mentality. It, it, it feels like a big empty world that is waiting for content. And, and I feel like the interactions with your friends and the interactions with other players could have been so much richer if there was more stuff going on and more things to do. Um, Christian, what's, what's your take on Sea of Thieves? Uh, it has beautiful skies, beautiful water, and the game is garbage. Um, wow. It is, Pulling it no is punches. Awful. It is it is awful. It doesn't mean you can't have fun with it. I've had some fun with my friends, you know, running around on a ship doing something. There's an excellent article on Game Informer. I just looked it up again. It is by Matt Miller, and it's Sea of Thieves Forgot to Include a Target Audience. And it basically runs through, like, it's not for social players. It's not for action enthusiasts. It's not for kids. It's not for power levelers. It's not for explorers. And it kind of goes for all these things that you would think the game maybe does or would do and then breaks down why it doesn't do any of those things. Um, the fact that this game launched at $60 as a full price retail product, I think is, is, it's atrocious. It's, it, <laughs> uh, dare I say highway robbery. Um, I think we first played this game two years ago at E3 and it was like, what are you doing it? And they're like, well, you know, we're building out the world. We're going to do this stuff, but right now interact with your boat mates. And then there's nothing's been added to the world from there. It's, it's the same similar repeated fetch quests over and over again. Either go to an island, get some chickens or a pig, go to an island, bring a skull back, go to an island, bring a treasure chest back. I, if you if your <laughs> if your favorite thing to do in games is to go back and forth from your ship, you are gonna love this game. Uh, progression doesn't matter. I'm not saying that, but no, actually, yeah, it does. You need to have some form of progression because even in real life, if I work out, I know I'm getting better at running, or if I'm shooting free throws, I'm getting better at shooting free throws or doing math homework. You're you're learning and you're becoming better at some skill or something. In this game you in no way become better at what you're doing. You can't, your ship doesn't get better. Your equipment doesn't get better. That's not you true. Things- That's not true. That you, you can, you, you level up with factions, which allow you to buy more cosmetic items. And those things don't have gameplay implications, but a person who's been playing a long time is immediately recognizable as somebody that has been playing a long time. So in that sense that you are rewarded for effort in and time spent. I mean, I guess I like the way my character looks. Uh, I, I'm usually the type of person that only upgrades after I get a character that I like. I only upgrade my gear for stat purposes. Um, seldomly it's like, oh, I like this headband because it looks cooler. I, I would dare I say people are only putting on new cosmetic items because that's all there is to do in the game as they get more gold. They're talking about that they're going to add stuff, but it's like if this game had launched an early access or like was $30 early access or something like that, then fine. I'd be like, I can't wait to see where this game goes. What a platform. But to have it come out in the way that No Man's Sky got trashed for not being a complete game, to to spare Sea of Thieves 
any of the scorn that No Man's Sky received. Well, I, I think, think it's is, the is, same. I think it's the same issue, Redux, right? I mean, at least No well, Man's Sky. worse. I don't think it's worse. No I, I think it's similar in different ways, right? If, if you could combine both of them, you would have the game we all wanted, which was play with your friends in a universe. You know, like if No Man's Sky had had the social aspect that Sea of Thieves was, had, I think it would be less, uh, you know, less harshly criticized. And I think if uh, Sea of Thieves had a more vast, interesting array of things to look at, it would be less criticized. But neither one really hits the hits the goal of of being interesting enough and having enough to do. Well, at least uh, No Man's Sky was a survival game where like that was its core gameplay loop and it had problems in terms of inventory management and stuff like that. But Sea of Thieves dying, literally there's no repercussions to it. And social part of the game playing with your friends. I mean, I used to hang out in front of a TCBY yogurt in high school with my friends and we would sit on the curb and it was super fun. I would never say that that would make a good game, right? (laughs) That's just you're hanging out with your friends. That is well, fun. I mean, you're you're overstating. I, 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 I listen. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not, a, I'm not <laughs> defending this game because I I was also really really disappointed by Let it. Let me put but, it this way. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt you real quick, and then I, I'll back off. I wanted to play this game with you, and I wasn't able to play it till Friday night. I wanted to play this game with you Friday night, and you said no. And you, I got you to play Fortnite with me, which yeah. you do not like multiplayer shooters, and you were more willing to play Fortnite with me than go back to playing any more Sea of Thieves. The game That's is correct. it's not a good game. You're not wrong that it's – I mean, I, I feel bad because Joel was like, I like it, and we're both crapping all over it. Uh, so I want to <laughs> go okay. back. You can like it. You can like things that aren't good. Yeah, no. I, like, <laughs> I like plenty of things that aren't good. Uh but that doesn't it doesn't mean it's it doesn't mean it's good. And also, sorry, I said I was gonna stop. I'm not. It also isn't Space Team, right? Like that iOS game where it's like or you mentioned offline, Jeff, uh Star Trek Bridge Command. Yeah, that's what I was act- just gonna bring up. Yeah, it needs more of that, right? The the ship it, it starts being this, hey, in order to accomplish anything, you need cooperation of people. Like the idea that the person standing up on the deck of the bridge of the of the ship the you know, the, the person standing there with the, the big ship steering wheel in their hand can't track the course. There needs to be another person down in the, the captain's quarters looking at the map to know which, if we're headed the right direction and where we're going and looking at, at, at the, the islands we're headed toward and communicating that. Meanwhile, somebody else needs to correctly manage the sails and tack with the wind and do all that stuff. That teamwork where no one of us can really do that efficiently by ourselves and we need to work together, that was just knocked out of the park in Star Trek Bridge Crew, right? That's the fun of that game is I'm in engineering, you're on comms, I'm the helmsman. In order to do anything, we all have to cooperate. And that just engenders so much fun. This game just sort of teases at it and it doesn't, go all the way and then once you're sort of on the boat mostly you're just standing around waiting to get places it's it doesn't really it's neither thing right it's not actually a sailing simulator but it it's more than a video game of sailing where you just point your ship in a direction you do have to understand how wind works in order to do anything correctly and how sails work even though there's literally no tutorial to tell you how to do that you sort of have to understand how sailing works but it doesn't it doesn't have the courage of its convictions to actually be hey nothing can happen without multiple people working together 
you can still do it by yourself. So it's just poorly. You just do it poorly. So it's, it, it doesn't do anything full bore. And I think ultimately it's just very bad at everything. And then my last thoughts on the game for why don't get me, I would love to come back to this game a year from now or whatever and have it be my favorite game. I think there is the possibility for it to become incredible right now. It is not my other knocks against the game. I don't think the movement when you're, it's a first person game. There's no weight to how you're running around the world. It feels like you're a camera kind of floating through space. Um, combat, like the sword fighting with skeletons, there's no strategy to it. It's not engaging. It's not like you're blocking and parrying and getting into some awesome pirate duel. It's just mash, 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 mash. And then on this show, Jeff, I remember, you know, you, you talked about, and I agreed with you how we thought Zelda would have, uh, benefited from having voice acting throughout or more voice acting and better voice acting. This game, my goodness, there, there's, no voice acting at all or very minimal. And then even the text on screen is just so bare bones where it's just like, mm-hmm. you want a gold chest, you want a chicken, you, and like <laughs> all of the personality that the graphics portray get lost the minute you talk to one of your quest givers. And it's such, such a shame. Cause I, like you was very excited for this game. As I saw people streaming some of the, the beta and stuff like that. And I thought the possibilities would really be there for a home run, but um, Joel, I, I'm glad you like the game and I'd love to play with you sometime because uh, I like hanging out with my friends, but mm. yeah, I just, it did not, it did not, uh, capture my attention in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not a hundred percent positive on it. Uh, I a hundred percent appreciate what you guys are saying there. The one struggle for me has been, you know, hooking up with my friends and getting time. The few times that I've tried to like join a random group have been terrible. Uh, you know, either log in dead oh, <laughs> or man. with a bunch of, a bunch of griefers and stuff like that right there, which is, which isn't fun. And just the interface and I play on the PC, uh, the interface for like finding a group and getting it, you got to go out to the Xbox app and then invite there and go back in the game. And there's no like global chat or anything. So I would figure like if I'm doing solo, which is fun, it's fine. It's a good, you know, waste of time. Uh, it'd be cool to like chat globally with people, you know, and just kind of see, I know that can be kind of a cesspool, you know, Baron's chat, but, um, you know, that would be kind of interesting to be able to do something else like that, uh, or just be actually be more social with people. Um, but yeah, I had, it, it definitely does lack a lot of things. I had a very, very funny first experience with this game. I, I logged on, uh, I was playing with, uh, friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, and, and he and I got in a group with a couple of other guys who I guess were from Kentucky, and my goodness, they were very, very funny. Uh, this guy running around going, get on the sails, brother! You can do it, brother! He constantly was calling me brother, and I just thought it was the, the, the funniest thing. We were having a great old time, and then, of course, they started dropping uh, racist terms, and I, uh, which was really, I mean, no slight to anybody in any particular location in America. It just happened to be these two guys uh, decided that was that was a funny thing to do, and then that then that soured me on the whole thing. Right. So you know, it's it's uh, catch as catch can with with people online, but there is a potential there, and I think again, I point to something like Star Star Trek Bridge Crew, which nailed it. I I never had a negative experience playing Star Trek Bridge Crew, and I played a few times with with randos, and you know. I think the fact a game can create systems that engender positive interactions. And I think the fact that Star Trek really doubled down on the idea that 
you are completely unable to do anything by yourself. You, ha- you, mm-hmm. you require the cooperation of your team. So it's not fun to grief because there's no fun to be had if you're not doing anything well. Uh, and I think that, I don't know, I think that was a worthwhile innovation and something that I think CFDs could have, could have learned from. But ultimately, that's not even the biggest problem for me. The biggest problem is just that there's not enough different kind of stuff to do. And most of the time, I'm just kind of wandering around or sitting on a boat and it, it just feels, it feels empty and, it, and even landing on a cool island. It's like, oh, there's a cool looking island and you get off the boat and you get on the island and that's, there's no payoff. You can't so. do anything. You can't cut down trees. You can't interact with anything. If you stumble upon a place, exploration is never rewarded. It's a, it's a real bummer. So let's move on to something maybe better. I'm very curious, Joel. Uh, you've been playing uh, Vermintide too, the uh, Warhammer yeah. 40k game, which I have heard people are really digging. Are you are you enjoying it? I am. It's a it's Warhammer Fantasy actually. Oh, um, pardon, so pardon me. That's fine. It's uh, yeah. There's two different Warhammer universes, and this is what they would probably call old fantasy. Uh, it's basically a Left for Dead style of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this is definitely better than the first one. Uh, it's just a little bit more, I don't know, elegant than the first one. Uh, it's very kind of, you can drop in and out. You can, uh, I've only played it with, uh, with the uh, randos, uh, and had a good time. And, uh, you just kind of go on different sort of scenarios or, or missions because I've done the same one probably three or four times now as well as some other ones. But, uh, it's cool because sometimes those Left for Dead games they get a a little bit repetitive in a way because it's just like you know you're just killing hordes and swarms of things. In this case, it's these chaos warriors and these Skaven and these rat people, and they just come in like hundreds. Uh, but the different classes are really fun. Uh, like I, t- I like to favor the Bright Wizard, which is really a glass cannon. I mean, take two hits and you're causing trouble for your group because they have to pick you up off the floor again. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I can, I got this really cool staff the other day where I basically turn into a giant flamethrower and just, you know, light all these rat people on fire and stuff. And, you know, they have some range classes and some melee classes and stuff like that. And some of the dwarves can get these cool, uh, like, uh, I don't know what the term is. Like it's almost like a steampunk kind of gun vibe. Uh, so that makes it really neat where, there's some really good interplay in terms of, you know, this is your role. You know, if you think of playing something like Warcraft, you've got your healer, your tank and your support and all that kind of stuff. So those kind of dynamics make it really fun. And it's really pretty. I mean, the graphics have been uh, very much improved on from the first one. Uh, It's just really fun. And then you get back into the kind of the home location. So the idea is like this giant town, this area has been kind of overrun with chaos and, and Skaven, the rat people, and you escape uh, after you've been captured with this band of friends and uh, you come back to the top and everything is just completely obliterated and you're trying to make sense of it. And there's kind of a safe haven. And so you'll come back there and then you can do some little bit of crafting and upgrade your equipment and stuff like that. Grab some heal potions and then go jump back out through a portal and try to get to these different areas. Um, so that whole interface there of kind of your, your progression, you're leveling up, you're getting more equipment is, is really fun. It's got kind of that, uh, you know, that, uh, carrot in front of you to keep playing just to get that stuff as well. Yeah. So it's really cool. Yeah. I've heard such good things about this one. It really wasn't on my radar, even much, even as much as I, I dig the, uh, the 
IP. Uh, mm-hmm. And so many people have been talking how good it is. And, and we really haven't had like a, a real Left 4 Dead style game in a while. I think Battle Royale has sort of taken over. And, uh, it, you know, it's, we haven't gotten a, one of these kind of cool co-op, how far can you get waves of, of enemies um, in games in, in a while. And I, I feel like I could, I could jump back in and, and enjoy something like that. Yeah, it's nice. It's not a uh, premium game. I think it's twenty or thirty bucks too, so yeah. it's not full sixty. That's awesome. Uh, I noted that you are also uh, playing Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, are you pl- you're playing the new one? I hope on uh, PlayStation Four. Yeah, I got the. I, I missed it. You know, the first time around, mm-hmm. uh, or the second time around. <laughs> there was yeah, several uh, times around at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I played Eco back in the day and really liked that, but for mm-hmm. some reason, skipped over Shadows. And, uh, man, I hope I don't get flamed too much. I really don't like it. <laughs> really? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. Is it, does it feel old-fashioned to you? Is it, does it feel like an old game? It kind of does. Like, I like the open-worldness of it and just kind of riding around and looking at the vistas and trying to figure out where the next Colossus is. Mm-hmm. But and I've only probably about halfway through. I think there's 16 Colossuses, and I've done eight. Mm-hmm. Um but man, they're really repetitive. I mean, you always jump on their fur and <laughs> climb yeah. up them, and it just seems like I'm doing the same thing over and over. And it did something on one of them. I think it was like the fourth or fifth one that really uh, got underneath my skin. I had, and I hate doing this. I had to go on YouTube and figure out how to beat it. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and I, when I got on there, I was like, okay, I was doing the exact right thing. Like you had to line it up and then get on this ledge in a certain way. And I was doing that, but it was just like not the right pixel alignment. Oh. And I was like, oh man, it just feels like you should have let me jump on him here. Right. Uh, Cause I was, I figured out what to do and I knew what I was doing, but it just, the mechanics didn't line up right. That's the worst yeah. when you, when you're like, I, I intellectually knew how to do it. It was just a, right. an execution thing and you didn't give me the information to realize that my execution wasn't effective. I just started thinking that I was doing the wrong thing. Oh, that's the worst mm-hmm. loop to get into. Cause then you just feel mm-hmm. hopeless and you're running around like, well, I, I, I tried the right thing, but right. it wasn't right. So yeah. Oh, the worst. That's the worst. And then there's this disembodied voice repeating the same pointless <laughs> hint over yeah. and over and over again. I'm like, no, I know I got right. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had that. What was I playing just recently where, oh my God, what was it? Man, what was I playing last week? What did I play last week, Christian? God of War? I can't remember. No, 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 not in God of War. It was like, uh, maybe it was Nino Kuni. I can't remember. There was something where it was like the, the character started being annoyed with me and, uh, just do it. Just shoot the thing. And I was like, I did. And it didn't, Oh, what was it? It doesn't matter. Anyway. Yeah. I, that's the worst one. The, the game is like, it only has the, the two looping lines that don't give you any additional information. I'm like, <laughs> I did exactly what you said. And the game hasn't moved on. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it's a, it's, it's one of those classics. And I think maybe, uh, many of us look at it with rose colored glasses. Um, and if you're a, a approaching it as a fresh game right now maybe maybe it doesn't hold up uh, that's an interesting perspective well i have two friends that played it for the first time on ps4 and both loved it but i will re- you know restate what the beauty of gaming today is is that there's games for everybody it's fine yeah. if yeah. you don't like shadow of the Colossus or if you don't like um breath of the wild there's something else for you you know what i mean there are right. so many games and so right. many different types of games that i could totally see how shadow of the Colossus wouldn't 
connect with some with some players, whereas others hold it as one of the best games ever made. I it's I get it. It's fine. I mean, he did say he likes Sea of Thieves and doesn't like Shadow of the Colossus, so I kind of quit listening after that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, I'm a, bit, a board game guy, so you. <laughs> yeah, you're, <laughs> so just wait, Christian. You, you, we got a whole other segment where it's just going to be me and Joel, and you can uh, check out if you want. Um, I have my Switch with me. <laughs> speaking of your Switch, good, good segue. Uh, Kirby, you got that new Kirby up in there. Kirby Star Alliance, oh my goodness. Like uh, Sea of Thieves in terms of being just stunning. Holy moly, what a beautiful game. I know you played a little bit of it, Jeff. Um, There is... I played as much of it as I need to. Yeah, you you probably saw a good amount of it. Um, it, It's relatively simple. Um, It is, in terms of if all you're trying to do, and it's a left-to-right platformer, with stages, I think you described it as kind of like Smash Brothers stages, which is if Smash Brothers was a single player game, it would look like this, I think. Or yeah, but like a action, like a side scrolling platformer, like yeah. you, you do go left to right. Um, it's not just individual screens. Uh, but yeah, like kind of platforms up and down, and you move through the world. Um, absolutely stunning. Not a challenge in terms of getting from left to right and clearing the stage where this game presents its challenges is in finding all of the puzzle pieces and shines and little knickknacks scattered throughout the world where, um, you can create friends. Any enemy you can throw a heart on and they become your ally and they follow you around and each one has its own, you know, whatever little power it had, it has with you as its friend and then you can combine powers to level up things. So that's how you would find secret areas of levels to get the magic puzzle piece or whatever um, to 100% the levels. And if you do that, the levels can be fairly tricky or intricate intricate in that, you know, wonderful Nintendo way of, oh, there's a, you know, a secret here. I, I thought this was just part of the level, but now I can break through this and get this thing. Um, if you're simply just running left to right, the game uh, is very easy and will not take you very long to complete. But I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's like the perfect for me pick up. I have 15 minutes and just kind of want, you know, pretty stuff in my face. <laughs> and it has like good music and it's joyful and cheery and Kirby's walking with his little strut. I, I love like the fan theories that Kirby's a jerk. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> and anything that gets in Kirby's way, he kills. Like it's like he could walk around the tree, but he doesn't like this guy's just bouncing and you could walk under it, but you wait for it to land and you kill it. <laughs> and it's like Kirby's just this, this, this real, uh, this real mean character <laughs> walking through this world. Um, but it's it's a real joy to play. Just don't come at it expecting any any real platforming challenge. And and yeah. I would say maybe wait for a sale because it's relatively short. Yeah, and and even more than that, the, each individual level feels really brief, really brief, abnormally brief in my in my opinion. It 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 feels like just as I'm getting going, I'm done with the level, and that seems odd to me. Um, they get longer as as they progress and as you get into other worlds, right. but it. it you certainly go through doors quickly and then you'll still be on the same level. Like you haven't cleared that level yet, but it's uh, a lot of short stages that make up a level within a world. Right. Uh, it's, be- as you said, gorgeous and, uh, and f- fine. It's fluff uh, and uh, that's fine. It's great. It's, I'm sure it's very delightful uh, and it's doing exactly what it's supposed to. Uh, but I just, it didn't hold my interest enough to keep going. Yeah. Yep. Totally understand that. Uh, I get to talk about Far Cry 5, which I got an early review copy of. This is not a review. Uh, I just started playing it, but, um, 
Uh, we will be talking about it more next week as well. It's very important that I say it's not a review. Uh, but um, so Far Cry 5, big fan of the Far Cry series. I was very excited for this game, and it is delivering in a big way. I'm really, really digging it. It's hard to talk about it without, without talking about the sort of uh, political overtones and the, and, the, and the subject matter, which is intense. And the game starts in a very intense way, which I won't spoil. But, it, I mean, it's about a religious cult in the middle of America that uh, starts do, being very violent. And you play a U.S. marshal that's going in there to, you know, prosecute the leader of the cult. And then things go really, really bad. And if you've ever played a Far Cry game before, you know that basically the entire premise of Far Cry is you go to a place, you get stranded in the place with nothing, and then you slowly conquer that place. And this is no different. Um, the difference being only that it's America here and uh, you are, you know, murdering a lot of a lot of uh, people in America. <laughs> um and it's hard. You know, this is a week where, as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, I marched for life. You know, I was very proud to um, march for those things. And it's hard to do that and then come home and then, you know, jump in a game where I'm shooting human beings in the face. But I'd rather do that in a virtual world than the real world. So, you know, I'm able to sort of uh, live in that dichotomy. Um, and, and I find a lot of joy in this game. It is it is really good. And it it's interesting juxtaposition between this and... Uh, sea of thieves because i think this is the opposite of that game it is just jam-packed full of stuff to do jam-packed full of things everywhere it is absolutely gorgeous i'm playing it on xbox one x in hdr and it is stunning 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 there is so much stuff to do in this game a, a gigantic map full of really interesting points of interest you're taking over areas and winning them back for the good people that are resisting the cultists you're finding there's just you know even among all of the great big quests and great big areas to liberate and uh big stuff to do and destroy there are just emergent things that happen along the way that you know are, are interesting there are just people that you'll come across that are hostages that you can free and that'll give you points everything helps you level up you're getting perk points that let you, you know, do cool stuff like get grappling hooks and parachutes and do stuff better, break certain rules in the game. It's just jam packed with stuff, stuff to do all the time. And, uh, the story is intense and compelling. The milieu is beautiful. There's vehicles to get into planes and helicopters and boats and cars. It, How I mean, well does it handle? We talked about this with Wolfenstein you know, walking that line um, from what you've played, how well does Far Cry kind of handle its tone? Cause Far Cry three and four, which I feel like this is kind of the continuation of that lineage versus one or two. Um, how does it seem to handle that tone? Does it strike a balance? Is it overbearing? When does it Far Cry on you? At some point it's got a Far Cry. Oh, on it you, Far right? Cried on me last night. I got the quest where I'm supposed to get the Rocky Mountain oysters. You know, if anybody's not clear on what those are, they're testicles. I got to go get testicles for a guy to make the Rocky Mountain oyster stew. It's like, oh, okay, we're in a Far Cry game. Um, but it's it starts very dark. I mean, very dark. Uh, you go into the heart of this cult and attempt to arrest their leader. And it is intense, man. They are 
pull in every trick they can to make you feel scared and in, you know, in over your head and uh, feel it's very intense. And I think there's a tone throughout that is, that is kind of like this. Like it's a, the, the concept of what this thing is, which is a religious zealot controlling a bunch of people to be violent that's a dark idea and they do not pull back from that. It is what the game is about and you are liberating these people. Um, so, you know, it is that, but it's also, you know, you also save dogs that become your companion and, you know, you can pet a dog and you, you can hunt wildlife and sell pelts of, of bears and, and turkeys and cougars and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I mean, so there's lots of like silliness involved in the game. There are cool puzzle moments where you can find these stashes and each one has a little puzzle you need to figure out in order to get something cool inside. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's so much in the game. And that's not even talking about the whole arcade mode, which is a near infinite amount of extra content that the game offers up. And brilliantly, I think the perks in the game go back and forth for arcade mode. So if you do something cool in arcade mode in a in a level that somebody made or that Ubisoft made themselves that has nothing to do with the game, the you can earn stuff that you can spend in the main campaign mode and vice versa. If you level up a perk in the main campaign mode, you it, it gives you an ability in arcade mode. Like if you can stealth better, you know, you unlock perks to make your stealth <laughs> stealthing stealth better. You can now stealth better. You can stealth yes. better in, you know, your character is persistent across all those modes. So what you level up also works in the arcade mode. It's cool. It's a great, it, it respects your time. It constantly rewards you for spending time in both modes, constantly respects you, your time for just wandering around doing cool stuff and finding off. off. It, it is a game, like I said before, that rewards you going off the beaten path. There's always something to discover and find. There's a backpack with cool loot in it. There's, you know, there's things around every corner and in every nook and cranny that don't have anything to do with the main campaign, but are little rewards for being curious. And that's the kind of game that I really, really love. Now, the central mechanic is killing everything. And uh, I wish there were, I, I'm ready for these games to take the next step beyond that because I think Far Cry 5 at this point is very, very close to being Skyrim or Fallout. I mean, these games are very, very similar at this point. It is a giant open world with tons of things to do and tons of ways to progress your character. And and the shooter and the role-playing game are sort of, sort of converging at a certain point. And I'm just ready for the shooter to also allow me to interact with the world in a way that isn't just shooting things. And I think I think that will be a really positive evolution for the first-person genre because... Um, as fun as the shooting is in this game, and it is, it's fun. It's really fun. Um, I think there's a place to get to where we can find other cool things to do in these giant cool worlds. Um, we're just not, not any of that in the game. I'm excited. Maybe, and I think we can play the whole thing co-op too. Yeah. It's got Uh, drop in, drop out co-op. I'm really, really excited to play with other people. Uh, you're constantly hiring, uh, NPC characters to hang out with you. You can, you know, anything from a series of different kinds of dogs to human characters that can have different skill sets and do cool things for you. Um, the game has taken away the Far Cry standard, which is you got to climb to the top of something in order to get a, a lay of the land. They do a really cool thing, which is um, you now can save people and save areas and then talk to them, and then they will give you 
new points on the map to check out. So it's very, hmm. very fallouty that way. Uh, and I think that's a much more organic, fun way to do things where talking to people, they're like, Hey man, I heard about old, you know, Jeter hanging out and he's holed up in his trailer down by the other day. And then it puts a point on your map and it's like, Oh, I can go liberate Jeter. And then he'll tell me some other cool thing to go do. Um, so it feels much more organic that way. It feels like a much more alive world full of people with specific knowledge and, and more interesting interactions. Um, I really, really like the game a lot. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I don't know enough to tell you where the story goes, if that is going to sour me or feel a little icky, which it certainly has the potential of doing. Uh, but right now I'm just having lots of fun with it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm very excited. I should be have it like what Monday at midnight or whenever it is. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, let's uh, thank our next sponsor, which is Simple Contacts. Uh, I am sad to say that I am at the point now where I am once again wearing contacts and glasses. If you're watching the live stream, I'm wearing my glasses, which I don't do very often because I'm usually wearing my contacts. And I'm so happy that Simple Contacts exists because it's so much easier to just redo my contact order and make sure my uh, prescription is up to date. Uh, you can take a five-minute test to renew your prescription from your phone or your computer. I did this. I set up my phone. It's easy. It, it gives you an eye test on your phone, and it uses the camera to make sure you're doing it correctly and you're looking at it. Uh, and then that is reviewed by a licensed doctor, and you receive a renewed one-year prescription, and you can reorder your contacts. And they have all of the biggest brands, uh, every brand you want for, for contacts. So you can do it quickly. It's super convenient. You don't have to go into a store or worry about any of that stuff. You just do it from home. Get your contacts fast. The vision test is self-guided. It takes less than five minutes. And it's reliable. It's designed by doctors and licensed ophthalmologists or, who review every test. This is by human beings. It's not an algorithm. They review every test and make sure your eyes look healthy. Now, this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need to do that because they're not checking for your eye health, and that's very, very important. But if you just need to renew your prescription, how easy. It's so great. gives you the choice and support you need. Plus, it's way less expensive than getting a prescription renewal from your doctor. How great is that? The vision test is only 20 bucks. Oh my gosh. Compare that to an annual appointment, which without insurance could cost you over $200. It's great. And the prices for contacts are, are, are great. So again, so a reminder that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but we can give you $30 off your contacts when you go to simplecontacts.com slash DLC or enter the promo code DLC at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com, S-I-M-P-L-E-C-O-N-T-A-C-T-S.com slash DLC or enter the code DLC at checkout. You get yourself 30 bucks off, renew your prescription, get yourself some contacts. Right now, right now. Oh, I'm so excited to dive into some tabletop time with you, Joel. Uh, your specialty, of course, on drive through reviews and drivethroughgames.com is tabletop, is board games, and you're always playing the hottest stuff. Um, I'm most jealous right now, looking over your list, well, I want to talk about several of these, but I'm most jealous right now because I have a friend who has it, 
and he keeps promising promising me we're going to play, and I haven't been able to. Is Rising Sun? Oh yes. Oh, I'm so jealous of of Rising Sun. I hear it is amazing. Uh, how amazing is it? <laughs> it it is. It's it's uh it's very very wacky um, compared to what you might think it's supposed to do. Uh, so Rising Sun takes place in sort of a mystical, fantastical, feudal Japan. So it's in the age of samurais. And each player has a sort of clan that they have control over. And you're trying to get territory control. So you might think it's like an area control game, like, I don't know, El Grande or Risk or something where you're moving your troops around and just trying to dominate the board. But that is probably equally maybe even not quite as important as some of the kind of cards and special abilities and things that you will get. Uh, it has these huge miniatures uh, that you can get of these Japanese demons. Uh, some of them are sort of real, so to speak, or they're from, you know, sort of the mythological uh, creatures of that era. And some of them are completely made up by Simon uh, Inc. who created the game. Uh, and you'll get these creatures that will... If you look at them, you think, oh, this is going to come in and it's going to smash everybody's face, but it's not actually going to do that. It might give you some extra little bonus or something. It really had nothing to do with the combat. Uh, but the real sort of core mechanic of the game is this kind of ne- uh, subtle or slight negotiation bit combined with an action selection thing, which is really cool. So what happens is if it's my turn, I'm going to draw four cards or four tiles and it's going to give me each of those is going to be a different action that we can all do. So maybe I'll play the recruit action. So then I get to recruit some new troops and everybody else gets to recruit troops, but I will get a bonus for that action. Everybody will do it. But since I'm the one that chose it, I get to do it with, I get to put an extra troop out. And then the person that I'm allied with will also get to do that bonus. And there's only like six or seven different types of things you can do. Like you can go and do a, uh, uh, like a, a market type of action where you go and sort of get these monsters or these special ability cards that will give you bonus points for things. Or you can do a movement action and everybody can move their troops and so on. So there's different things like that. So the actions are very, very limited, but everybody's doing something every turn. Even if it's my turn, you're still getting to do something because you do what I chose. And so it's like at Puerto the Rico a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty close to that. Yeah. yeah. And the interesting part of it is it's only three rounds, but at the beginning of each round, there's a, what they call it, a T phase. And, uh, there's a, all that is, is just an open negotiation of who you're going to ally with. And that gets pretty interesting because you're going to look and see who's going to get the most choices because play just goes around clockwise. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say, Oh, okay. Well, Billy over there, he's going to get two choices here and here. And that's going to happen before maybe like these temple phases where you sort of resolve these little special action spaces that don't have anything to do with the map. And so you might negotiate and say, hey, you're in a good position to uh, do this ability which where we can build new strongholds. And, you know, Frankie over there, he's he's running away with it. He's got a domination in kind of the north area, and there's going to be some big battles there. And so that really kind of drives the game, all that sort of gnashing of teeth and negotiation. And you're locked in then to this alliance unless one of you plays a betray action. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you can play and then it'll break the alliance. And then you can actually sort of just swap pieces on the board with uh, you can put some of your pieces on the board and take somebody else's off and that kind of thing. Um, it, it just has a lot of really interesting dynamics. Like the first thing that you do every round 
is you will sort of randomly draw which areas are going to be up for grabs this round. And you also will know the order that they're going to be up for grabs. So you have area one, two, three, four, five, and that's different every round and different every game. So there may be an area where there's no battle that's going to happen. But you also have to keep that in mind because when you do all your actions and movements and recruiting and get your new creatures and cards, that's all going to happen over a few turns. And then at the end, you're going to resolve all of those battles that you knew were coming. Huh. So you, all, all of the actions you take are sort of in preparation for that. And some of the things that you're going to, actions that you're going to take, uh, will get you money or Ronin, which are like these sort of, uh, they're not like spendable, but they're sort of troops that just last for the turn. And so you're going to build up for that. And then you're going to resolve each battle in the order that you drew them out. And so you have to kind of think to yourself, okay, I'm going to fight with Billy and Francesco over here. Is this area really that important to me? Because on the fifth battle of the turn, that's a really cool area that I want to have control over. And that's going to give me uh, some bonus points because you want to win battles in as many different areas as you can. Uh, you get points for winning the battles and those go up over the round of the game. So in the last round, the battles are worth the most points. Hmm. But you also get end game points for having won battles in the most different areas. So you're kind of trying to juggle all that and certain areas will give you better resources when you exploit them and take that action. So you have to really sort of plan out what you're going to throw your resources behind. And here's the other cool trick is everybody sort of puts their resources behind a screen so nobody can see them and then you reveal them. And that's going to dictate sort of how that battle plays out. And anything that you put on there, you're going to spend. But the person that wins the battle will divvy up all of their money and give it directly to the players that they beat. So now they're going to have money for the later battles. So this whole kind of mind game going on of you saying, oh, I'm really going to take this from you. And you kind of try to force them to spend extra money. And you didn't even care about that region really. And now you've got a ton of money to spend in the next battle, which maybe is against the same person. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. So you can get it's them really, to really sort fun. of do something counter uh, counterproductive to their own. Like they're literally empowering you uh, because you, you baited them into fighting you. Right. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. And it has this, this other cool uh, sort of thing, which is semi-historical. It, it kind of, it, it toes the line on sort of, uh, gosh, I don't, I don't want to say good taste, but it can be kind of uneasy feeling because, uh, you know, back in that time, they had this concept of seppuku, right? Where uh, if you were dishonored or something, if you were samurai or some kind of a other warrior class, you might actually commit suicide and, uh, you know, run a sword through you or offer yourself up for beheading. Uh, so there's actually a way that you can do that in a game. If you sort of get in a situation where like, I'm not going to win this battle, uh, one of the areas that you can put resources behind behind your screen is to actually commit seppuku. Hmm. And then um, you actually get some points and some honor for that. Hmm. Uh, so there's a technique in the game where you can actually set yourself up to lose a whole bunch and maybe get some bonus cards to give you extra points for people that died in the battle, which those count as. Um, but there's a lot of kind of mind games around that kind of stuff too. And kind of my original point about the area control being just as, or maybe not even as important is a lot of the cards you get are going to give you bonus points for doing all these kind of weird things. Hmm. Uh, so you have to kind of watch for that too. People trying to set up these like little combos. You think of it like kind of magic, the gathering or something, not quite that crazy, but you can set up these real interesting little moments like, Oh, I didn't see that coming or yeah. 
Man, it sounds so cool. I'm anxious to play it. Do you, do you think there's a a uh, best number of players? It seems like with the uh, negotiation stuff, more players would be better. Yeah, the well, the consensus seems to be that actually three and four players is better than hmm. five. Hmm. And I find that interesting because three, you wouldn't think there would be a lot of negotiation because at most you can ally with one other person. Right. So it's two people allying and then one person off to the side that doesn't get those bonuses. But you also don't give those bonuses to them. And you can change up allies, you know, throughout the course of the game as well. Now, the problem that I understand with five, I haven't actually played it with five, but is because the actions are so discreet and and uh, important, you may have a round where you get to choose one action that whole round because it's just it, where you're sitting in the kind of turn order around the table. Right. And so that can be kind of frustrating to, even though you get, get to do everything every turn, you still don't really feel like you had that much to say about what was going on. So right. spreading it across the five players, um, I guess it can feel a little bit uh, less than stellar. Awesome. Again, that's called Rising Sun. It's from uh, Cool Mini or Not, um, Simon Games. And, uh, man, I, I'm sure I'll be talking about it later on sometime when I finally get a chance to play it because I'm dying to play it. Um, what is, uh, what's another one that uh, is a highlight for you of this list? Um, well, let me think here. Uh, you know, an inter- interesting one that is definitely going to be flying under the radar, I think it's called Bottle Imp. Hmm. Uh, this is an old game, but it's been brought out recently by Stronghold Games. This is a wacky uh, trick-taking game. It's just a little card game. And it, ha- it really elicits this feeling of selling your soul to the devil. Uh, and it, it's amazing that a card game can do this. But what it is, is if you somebody were playing like Hearts or Spades or any trick-taking game, somebody will lead a card, and, it, and everybody has to follow suit. So there's red, yellow, and blue in this game. So if somebody plays a blue card... You got to play blue and so on until you don't have any of that color. Then you can play whatever you want. Well, the idea is that the highest number card is going to take the trick and all the cards have these little like stars on them. And those are the points you're going to get at the end of the round. So if I get a, you know, 10 stars on all the cards I collected, I'll get 10 points, but there's this bottle card. That's a 19 and the cards go from like, I forget like one to 32 or something. And the way you can break that is if you play a card that is underneath the bottle, 19 is kind of in the middle. Whoever plays the card that is closest to the bottle but underneath it will actually win the trick instead of the highest card overall. And then whoever does that takes the bottle and then they'll put that on the card that they play. So let's say we play some cards and I play 17. Okay, nobody else played an 18. So I've got the 17, I've got the bottle. And now we keep playing, and then, again, either the highest card takes it or the highest card just underneath the bottle. The thing is, is once you uh, end the game and have played all the cards, whoever has the bottle, all those stars in those cards are worth negative points instead of positive points. And it's this interesting thing because it has these pictures from the story. It's a, uh, I think it's a Robert Frost short story or something like that about this bottle that is sort of has the devil in it. And it, you keep, you have to, you get the bottle and it'll make you super rich. But before you die, you have to sell the bottle and have less money than you started with when you got the bottle Hmm. or else you, your soul is trapped and you go to hell. Um, and so it, you, it's sort of like a push your luck thing where you're trying to collect these points and you're taking the bottle, taking the bottle. And as the game progresses, the value of the bottle decreases. 
So if you get the bottle late in the round, you're more than likely going to have end up getting a bunch of negative points. And then you get to a point where like you're winning tricks and you don't want to win them because you know you can't get rid of the bottle. <laughs> so you're just getting more and more negative points. That's crazy. Uh, it's, it's just really wacky. And the cards have little pictures from the story. Uh, but the game doesn't really tell you anything about the story specifically. So we just end up making up a lot of uh, weird stories about like what's actually going on in the picture and stuff. It <laughs> makes it kind of silly. But uh, yeah, that's a really wacky game. Really interesting. It's called Bottle Imp. Uh, yeah. One I had not, not, not heard of. That sounds really cool. Uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about Azul because I haven't had a chance to play that either. It was the, the big hotness at uh, Board Game Geek Con when I went last year, late last year. Uh, it's a game that looks very beautiful, but is it is it basically a glorified abstract game? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's very abstract. Uh, I have a hunch that this will actually win the Spiel des Jahres, which is a German award for like best family board game kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this would win it. It's uh, it looks kind of unassuming. I mean, it looks gorgeous. The tiles are very colorful, and and they're sort of like. Uh, um, a Bakelite type of material yeah. where it's sort of a hard plastic. They look like little starbursts. <laughs> right, right. And uh, the boards and everything are really neat. There is a fair bit of strategy for something that is so abstract, and, and it's really kind of on the lighter side. Um, I don't know. It's it's definitely a great family game. It works really good at two players, but it plays fine two, three, and four. Um, Do you think yeah. it has that that you know broad mass market appeal of a of a Spiel des Jahres kind of winner. I do. Yeah, I do because it has, um, it's the rules are super simple. I mean, you can explain it in less than five, five minutes. You can probably explain it in two minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you take these tiles, you put them here and you can't put tiles here once you, you know, you put a certain color there. And then, uh, that's, I mean, I, that was way briefer than even I should say, but the rules are dead simple. But once you play it, you start to sort of see the different layers and stuff that are under the covers and it does a cool thing where it has two sides to the player board because as you take tiles, you kind of arrange them on your board to build like a little mosaic. Mm-hmm. And it has one side that has kind of the colors filled in for you. So as you take them, you just move it over to the matching spot, and then that's where it goes. Then you can flip the t- uh, the board over, and it has just all gray spaces. And so then you can sort of put them where you want, and you still have to kind of obey the rules of placement so you can't like repeat the same color in a column or a row. But it's, I've done this a few times where even though I played a game a bunch, I will screw myself. And by the end of the last round, I'm like, oh no, I just cost myself 20 points because I didn't look far enough ahead. So it's got some extra sort of layers and things there that will, I think, keep, you know, quote unquote gamers into it. Yeah. Uh, but again, simple enough that you can just share it and play it with whoever and they'll, they'll jump right in. It's certainly visually striking. It, it, it really is a yeah. pretty, pretty game. Um, so I'm dying to play it as well. Um, I did today, in fact, I got, I got home like 20 minutes before we started because I spent a whole day uh, with my buddies playing the, well, I don't even know if it's the latest anymore, the latest we have played, uh, Time Stories expansion oh, yeah. uh, called uh, Lumen Fide, I believe. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Have you played that one, Joel? I've played Time Stories. I haven't played that particular uh, module, though. Well, I have a group of buddies and I who uh, we are just hooked on time story. We played literally every one we can, and Lumifide is the latest. I think it's the beginning of what they were calling their sort of season two, and I think this is 
the strongest expansion since uh, since really the first game, uh, since the, the the base game. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a fan in greater and lesser degrees of of every one of those. I just think that Time Stories is so fun and so well made. Uh, and some some are clearly better than others, but I think this one is just top notch. It's got uh, a series of revealing chapters in it where you you kind of um, get completely new areas to explore. It's got combat that's really fun. It's got surprises. It's got uh, cool puzzles toward the the latter latter part of it. Uh, really challenging, interesting puzzles. Uh, I I don't want to spoil anything about this one, but it is really good, and it also is the first one I think that does a the, a very good job of rewarding players that have played previous modules because there are a few uh, challenges that you have inside this one that say, hey, if you you have this sense of deja vu and if you played this module, you remember this and you're able to get a few extra dice on your rolls. It's like, oh, that's cool, we did it, we get rewarded because we did do that one. So, um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love that about it and. It, you know, there are very clever surprises inside it. It's it's a milieu that I wasn't super into. It's it's like uh, fourteen nineteen or something. It's uh, set in the middle of the uh, Christian and Muslim sort of wars that were happening, and uh, you interact with the Pope. And the, you know, it's it's a time period that isn't as attractive to me as some of the others. But it ended up being really interesting and really fun, and it gets supernatural and cool and crazy. Um, so I highly recommend that one for anybody that, that has time stories and wants another expansion. I think this is one of the best, uh, and I'm, I'm encouraged for future, uh, additions that they have, they've still found ways to mine that system for new and interesting interactions and mechanics. It's so cool. Yeah. That's when I, I only played the first two modules, the base game. And then the, I think it was some, well, I don't, I guess I shouldn't say what it was about because I think that's a spoiler. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's the zombie one, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think you, you don't know, you don't know it's a zombie one until you play it. They're like, like oh, four seconds in, you know, <laughs> yes, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were you, were you a fan of, uh, time stories? Um, you know, I gotta say the, the first module that comes with the base game was really fun until we got to this point and this would be a spoiler. But I'll just say there's a mechanic in there where, like, you do a thing, and then it says, oh, you know what? Uh, roll this die and see if you actually succeeded. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we failed it, like, three times in a row, mm. even though we actually did the thing. Like, we do a thing, and it's like, okay, pretend that you, it didn't actually happen. Right. And then the third time I said, you know what? Pretend we rolled a six. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep playing. And that kind of bothered me a little bit, but uh, some of the other – you know, bits and pieces of that game. It's a, it's a new kind of style of game that I really have liked. It's kind of like an escape room in a box type of game where you just play through a puzzle, you play through it once, you solve all the puzzles and everything, and then, you know, you either pass it off to somebody else or, you know, you've destroyed components so you can't yeah. play it again. But I'm really liking that whole uh, that whole genre, I guess. And Time Stars is definitely one of the first, if not the first ones to kind of do it. Yeah. It's, it's escape room with a story, you know, and I think I, yeah. I love the escape room in a box stuff, but they're very story, you know, minimal. It's mostly like you're mm-hmm. in a place, get out of that place. But, uh, yeah. you know, Time Stories actually has really cool, interesting story layer, which, which I find very compelling. Um, 
Anyway, so I, I, I very much enjoyed that, and I very much enjoyed talking board games with you, Joel. Uh, I would love to have you back and pick your brain. I love your channel, and um, I'm so jealous that you've played uh, so many more recent games than I have lately. Uh, very, very cool stuff. Oh, no, I've, this has been great. Uh, I had a great time talking to guys and being uh, schooled on uh, on video game reviews and stuff. So <laughs> Right on. <laughs> Uh, let us, uh, thank our last sponsor, which is eHarmony. eHarmony, man. If you're, if you're trying online dating, the chances are you have not had a positive experience. I mean, I've actually, I met my wife online. Uh, that's how we met was on, through an online dating site. So, uh, I'm here to tell you that it's positive, but there's a lot of them where you're going to deal with lazy text messages or dead end conversations or random matches that don't turn into anything. But eHarmony has success stories, has a real people that have found real matches. And the, the reason for that is because eHarmony has been around a long, long time and treats its people, the people who sign up with respect and really values creating great matches with people that will find genuine relationships. This is not a hookup site. It's really something about finding a person that you will get along with, that you will share things with. I had a friend who signed up and here's what she said. She liked about eHarmony. She liked that the the questions that they ask you are about things that are actually important in a relationship and that they didn't just focus on the traditional image of a relationship. They help you find exactly what you're looking for. It doesn't have to be a spouse. It can be whatever you're looking for now, but it's a, a, a real sort of, a deeper sense of connection than just, you know, some sites are. And it's easy. Um, the questions are easy to read. They're not confusing. And the scale that they use as the answers is is great. It's not just a yes or no. It's about kind of dialing in who you are and who you want to meet. And that's pretty great. Plus, it's quick. It only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to answer the questions. And if you think about it, that's not really that long to, to start finding your soulmate, if that's what you want to do. You get a better understanding of yourself and what you're looking for. And you can add so many things, little things to your profile that would really help someone to get to know you. It's great. It's, it's, uh, it's not the pressure of managing a social media profile. It's well designed and easy to read. Check it out. If you're looking for love or if you're looking for just companionship, somebody that gets you and understands you. Like I said, I found my wife, uh, by using online dating and I didn't set out to find a wife, but it just, we just matched up so well. Uh, and, uh, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing for my life. So I would love for you guys to try it. And right now, Listeners to DLC can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. All you got to do is enter our promo code DLC at checkout. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps. But when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter promo code DLC at checkout to get a free month. All right. Um, that is going to do it for the show. We do have a parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But, Joel, thank you so much for being here, sir. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great time. Thank you. Uh, tell people where they can follow you and uh, your channel online. Uh, you can find me at uh, Drive Through Review. Just search that on YouTube. 
or you can go to drivethroughgames.com and that'll be my website. Awesome. Very cool. Like I said, I've been a fan for a long, long time. You've steered me to many, many great purchases, uh, too many purchases, really. That's uh, very true. <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? This week's at least 20 more minutes is about uh, whether or not you want developers to surprise you with sequels to games or kind of give you more of the same. And I kind of walk through advantages and disadvantages of both. It's kind of inspired by God of War 4 and what they've done to that franchise and what Nintendo did with Zelda Breath of the Wild and kind of that idea of flipping the script on a beloved established franchise. So you can find that Tuesday on uh, the Patreon feed, which is patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. And then it will come out Friday on the Uninformed Opinions podcast feed, where if you just search for Uninformed Opinions in your podcast provider or player of choice, you will find it. It's easy to find there. And then you can uh, hang out on Twitch if you want, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Haven't been streaming as much recently because I've been busy with other projects. But uh, this show is always streamed there live. Uh, 7.15 Pacific is when we start. So if you want to hang out with us live, you can uh, you can find it there. Oh, the Department of Parenting. We didn't, this week's is about, uh, oh, like family, how tech companies are trying to convince you that their family's safe, <laughs> whether it's Google's family link or Apple setting up their page where it's like, you're a parent, you want to know what your kids are up to, and kind of walking through that that landmine of uh, kids and technology. You can find that at departmentofparenting.com. Oh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. You can always email the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. If you have any comments or questions or you'd like to point out anything, help in, be involved in the conversation. We'd love to have you send us an email. Also, that is the place to send in quick questions. We are going to be bringing back that segment, and we actually have awesome game codes to send out for you. So if you want to submit a quick question to the show, we have Out of the Park Baseball 19, courtesy of our friend Rich Grisham. We have codes for everybody that gets a quick question onto the show. So please send those to dlcfeedback at gmail.com and you'll get a download code for Out of the Park Baseball 19 if we use your question. Uh, I'd love for you to check out my comedy show, We Have Concerns, which is at wehaveconcerns.com. Only 20-minute episodes, very easy. Uh, I guarantee you, you'll you'll laugh at least once and learn something. Uh, it's all about science and comedy. It's a good time. Wehaveconcerns.com. Also, the Slash Filmcast, where I review movies and video games, or excuse me, <laughs> video games is here. Movies and TV shows is what I meant to say. Uh, and we are doing, what are we doing this week? We're doing, uh, oh, Pacific Rim 2. So uh, check that out ever at slashfilmcast.com. All right, guys, let's finish up the show now with our parting gift. Joel, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Uh, yeah, I would say Jessica Jones on Netflix. I just got done watching season two. Not quite as good as season one, but I still enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. Very different kind of take on the superhero stuff. Yeah, I'm curious about that season two. I've fallen off a little bit. But um, yeah, great. Jessica Jones over on Netflix. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? 
Go to your local zoo, especially if it's a great one. I know sometimes uh, there's the idea that zoos are cruel to animals, and some in the world certainly are. Um, I've been fortunate to live near some great zoos growing up, and um, especially now with the last white northern rhino male dying, um, you know, preservation of animals and, and understanding their natural habitat and the, the good work that can come out of of uh, quality zoos, I think is really important. I think even if you don't have kids uh, going, I, I went recently with a group of just adult friends to the zoo. It's a very different experience because you can see everything and not have to go, I'm tired, uh, my feet hurt, or whatever it is when you're with a kid. Uh, but it was awesome. And I, and they also have delicious churros at the LA zoo. So <laughs> dipping dots too, man. Get those oh yeah. Dots. If you need another, re- and LA zoo also has beer. I think the San Diego zoo does too. So if that, that's not my thing, but if it's your thing, you can have a, a good time at the zoo. We got a, uh, a season pass to the zoo, which is the way to do it, man. Cause then you go and you spend like an hour and you're like, okay, I don't feel pressure to see everything and come back some other time. It's fine. And the season yeah. pass is like very inexpensive. It's uh, the best. Good suggestion. Uh, we got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes to us from Eric D. He sent this to <laughs> dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, he says, I found Audible through you guys and used your promo code. Thanks for the free book, by the way. You're welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for using our promo code. And I absolutely love it. I made my way through 18 books last year, which is 18 more than I had read in any span of previous time. That's pretty cool. Uh, anyhow, I, I came across an awesome trilogy of books named Divine Dungeon by Dakota Kraut. It is very well performed, almost as well as Traveling in Space. Hey, that's the audiobook that I did, Traveling in Space, available on Audible. Listen to it today. Uh, the series puts the traditional high fantasy setting on its ear in a very interesting and refreshing way. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Cool. I might have to check this one out. I'm always looking for good uh, fantasy stories that try something new and you were vague about that, but that's, that is, uh, enticed me to give it a shot. Divine Dungeon by Dakota Kraut, a trilogy. My parting gift is the new Decemberists album, which just came out. I have mentioned the Decemberists on the show before, because I'm a huge fan. One of my favorite bands, the Decemberists, um, Portland sort of crunchy guitar based, uh, but really amazing lyrics and uh i just i just love their sound i'll be your girl is the name of the new album and it's got some fun influences it's got a little like 80s synth pop influence there i mean it's not all the way that way but there's some sounds in there that the decembers don't usually do really dig this album so far so i highly recommend it i'll be your girl by the decemberists obviously available wherever you get music All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Joel Eddy and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all of our folks who watch live and hang out in our chat room over there on Caffeine at caffeine.tv slash Jeff Canada and Christian's uh, Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for creating those cool bumpers. Thanks to you for listening. We do appreciate it. And if you have a second, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review on your platform of choice. It helps people find the show. Or even better, recommend us to a friend. We would appreciate it. We'll be back next week. In fact, if you're into the tabletop stuff, uh, I'm, I'm going to be talking to a friend of the show, Rob Davio, next week. about um, a, He's bringing back Fireball Island. 
uh, with his yes. restoration games. Yes. I'm excited to talk about it with him. It's going to be a Kickstarter that launches, I think in just a few days. Um, we'll be back next week until then think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. <laughs>